Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash Holy Backboard. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 141st edition of the Holy Backboard podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling here, looking at my man Dustin's uh, shirt. Or, you know, it's it's held on by a thread, man. You need to, you need to upgrade your Lazy Day attire, bro. I feel like this is the upgraded lazy day attire. When when you are wearing a shirt that has more holes than ten, like I'm in double digit like rips and tears. Oh, absolutely, dog. Like, I feel I mean, first of all, shout out ptownblazers.com, the OG blog for the Portland Trailblazers, started by a friend of the pod, Stu Holdren, a.k.a. Stu Pendis, a.k.a. West Albany's Finest. Back in, like, 2001, uh, these were actually our Summer League shirts. So I've, I've held on to this for damn near 20 years, and I'm not throwing this baby out until it, 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 it's it just the thread goes away. Like, right now it is hanging on. I believe Stu was like – Hey, I only had like a double XL left. I'm I'm like the truest form of a medium you'll find. So I am like swimming in it, but I am never giving this shirt up. It is the most comfortable shirt just to to lay around in the house, to sleep in. Um crazy lazy day. Woke up at 10, watched the Blazers, did some chores, watched some ladies hoops, uh podcasting with you, sun's out. I mean, a beautiful Sunday overall. Like when I look at you in that shirt. There, there's the Chino XL line that pops into my head. The, the only thing uh, holy is the draws I'm wearing. That is the level of holy that is in your shirt. Not holy backboard, holy like, oh my god, dog. Though That is... The, good hustle, Stu. Good hustle. That's all. Good I mean, shit. I've got shorts on with rips in them from Cat Claws. I also painted in them. Uh, just like ultimate, like, don't give a fuck levels of cozy... Right now, <laughs> and and I'm talking shit in a shirt. I'm wearing a shirt you found me in the Blazers, like Lost and Found or something, right? Yep. <laughs> so I have this level of su- superiority towards you, but you found this shit in the like the, the, play- <laughs> the Lost and Found. I'm rocking it. I think this is a decade old sleeveless tee, so I'm not that much better. I just it's it's still holding on. It's got perma stain. It's perma stained, but it's still <laughs> it's still together. But uh, one thing that's not holy is how many wins we got. Bad, oh, bad one. I you know what? I'm keeping it, but that wasn't my best. Ah, you tried to the transition, <laughs> pulled up mm, off the back iron. It's all right. <laughs> the team. You know, always- I tried really hard to think of something. You can't shoot 100%. <laughs> no, I saw the the wheels were turning in there, and I was like, I'm going to let you go with it. I don't know where you're going with it, but it's just like Alfred Camino. You you never know what you're going to get. Like, is he going to finish with a nice floater? Is he going to dribble it off his knee out of bounds? Is he going to – you just you just don't know. And because we're boys and we've done 141 episodes, I let you roll with it. Yeah, man, it was really just 
open lane by myself and I dribbled it off my foot and I tried to dive for it out of bounds, but I missed. It, it's not like the, you know how Shaq grabbed it as he was diving and threw it to a teammate. I tried to grab it and just fell into the camera, man. But at least I tried and people on Twitter will uh, appreciate my hustle. Very good hustle, just like the Blazers, Sage, 39-24. and 24. At the time of this recording, half game ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder for third out west. OKC is taking on Memphis right now in Oklahoma City. So we could be in a, in a gridlock for the three, three spot. Obviously, OKC with the 3-0 season series lead has that tiebreaker. But it, it's really going to come down to these last 19 games. Uh Portland could theoretically finish anywhere from two to six. Mm-hmm. And what once looked like a daunting road trip and a season defining one, it, it really was. It this to 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 an extent has been a season defining road trip because they have a chance with a win in Memphis to go six and one on a road trip. I believe after tonight's this afternoon's win. Against the Charlotte Hornets, it gave us five wins. So five wins on a road trip. The Blazers had only done that three other times in their franchise history. Uh, 99-2000, 90-91, and 2001 season. So this team is is in rare air in in terms of Trailblazers lore. And let's, you know, quickly go back and see how they got there this week. Uh, 123-110 over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Score a little misleading blazers got up to a huge 20 plus point lead cleveland came back cut it to two i was stressing big time but portland you know closed it down the stretch boston portland could not throw it in the the ocean from three still was able to just to gut out a 97 92 victory um obviously the heartbreaker in toronto without ennis Cantor and evan turner losing on a last second jumper by Kawhi leonard 117 to 119 and then the blazers bounce back against a a charlotte team fighting for their playoff lives and they do have 20 wins at home they were able to get this this dub this morning 110 or 118 108 behind rodney hood's 25 points in 20 27 points excuse me in 24 minutes um sage give me give me some things you liked about this week i mean obviously the dubs it shows that damian lillard doesn't have to have a usage rate of 40 like james harden for us to win games our team is deep there's quality nba players at each position i just love that our team's deep now and we can experiment with lineups like we threw zach collins in today with Enos. Like, there's ways to be creative to get people their minutes. And, you know, to, to say that we have a good bench now is pretty awesome because we've been. We, we've, we've had a pretty shit bench for a long time. To say, so to have guys that are, can be game changers like Cantor and Rodney Hood, it's pretty special. And Jake Lehman off the bench, that's pretty special. Yeah, so it does give Terry a, a lot of really options to, to play with. And one thing I want to point out is, first of all, the Blazers are still undefeated with Ennis Cantor on the court. He obviously didn't get to travel to Toronto due to visa um, issues with his, his you know home country of Turkey, basically putting him on, on red alert, um, which put his name into the Interpol. However, last podcast, you called out and said, 
on the defensive end, teams are going to try to take advantage of him. And it's going to be up to him on offense to kind of offset that. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed, especially in the um, the Charlotte game, yeah, Frank was with Zeller and Kaminsky, they had a lot of pick and pop bigs. And our pick and roll defense, especially even with, with Tony Parker as well, who was getting into the paint quite a bit, uh, he had a little bit of trouble. So, I mean... Yes, let's fall in love with, with Ennis. I think he's a fantastic addition. I want to re-sign him. But there are going to be times where we do get exploited, and you called that out. So it, what would you do? Would you just say, Enos, you got you to gotta hedge, and it's probably going to be nasty? Or are you just going to say, you fall back, do the Robin Lopez thing on the pick and roll, and force them to take a mid-range jumper. What would be your strategy with Enos in the pick-and-roll defense? Because pick-and-roll is like 70% of the game. So we have to have a strategy for what he does. Are we going back to the Blazers' defense where it's just mid-range buckets for days for opposing guards? I mean, that's what I don't want to do because even though the mid-range is, is technically the best shot you can allow a team to shoot, NBA players or NBA players for a reason and they can hit those in their sleep. It all it always it, it's gonna depend on who is the ball handler. So is the ball handler someone who's a threat from three? If they're a threat from three, you're gonna need the guard in that situation to fight over the screen and have Ennis, you know, help out as well. And then you're gonna have to basically help the helper. Now if the ball handler is a guy like Tony Parker who can kill you in the mid-range or go to the basket then you're going to want to go under the screen. And it, it, it just all depends on the match. I think, I think less on Ennis, more on who who's guarding the ball handler. Can he get over or under the screen um, with ease? And then Ennis is going to have to make up his mind based upon the, the ability of, of the, the, defend, the first defender. All right. So the most likely matchup is Rockets for the, the Rockets Blazers first round matchup. So in the playoffs, what do you tell Cantor to do? It's a Clint Capella, James Harden pick and roll, or CP Clint Capella pick and roll. I mean, if it's Capella, you really just want to stay with him as long as you can, and then go over and try and and block the the layup attempt because Capella's not a threat to shoot, so they're not going to do any pick and pops there. It's all going to be pick and roll, and you have to make sure you take away the lob threat. Mm-hmm. It's also I think when you're playing a team like Houston, you have to swarm them. I watched um, the Boston-Houston game where Boston got into a, basically a 30-point deficit. They didn't end up winning the game, but they scrapped back. And how they did that is they basically trapped Harden on that pick and roll. Uh, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward really did a, a good job. Marcus Smart came over, and they basically had a hive mentality. That was the number one goal. Was like, do not let him shoot the basketball. If we're going to give up, you know, a Nene 15-footer, so be it. P.J. Tucker in the corner, Austin Rivers. You don't love it, but you'd rather have it than, than Harden, who basically put up another 40-piece. So to defend a team like Houston, it can't just be on Ennis Cantor. And I think Portland is going to learn from the Toronto game because we essentially had Damon Harkless. Dame was guarding Lowry. Harkless was guarding Kawhi. They did a pick and roll with a, with a, basically a 1-3 pick and roll with the point guard and the small forward. And Mo just – Dame just let that switch happen way too easily. And then Kawhi went down on the block, turned around, had about a 10, 12-foot jumper, rimmed in. 
If I'm Mo, I am staying with Kawhi because one, you have to know in situation. It was a tie game. You obviously don't want to foul, but there was, you know, three seconds left when Kawhi started to make his move. If Kyle Lowry, who was not hot from three that game, gets an open look with less than a second remaining, you live with it. Kawhi mm. was a murder all night long, and you, you have to know. Let me rewind that a bit. Today's NBA players are so talented. There's really very few opportunities you get where you're really excited that it, that the opponent is taking a shot. Guys are it is incredible how much more talented guys are than they were 30 years ago. Mm. I mean, everyone is a threat essentially. Everyone has a specialty. You basically have to choose the lesser of two evils. To me, that's Kyle Lowry shooting an open three. One, he's further away from the basket. Two versus three doesn't matter in any any you know form of the imagination. Um, Lowry's never struck me as a clutch basketball player, and Kawhi was on fire. To me, if I'm thinking of all of those all of those three basically points, if I'm in that timeout, if I'm Terry Stotts, I'm saying we're not letting Kawhi Leonard beat us. Bottom line. One thing I noticed in that Raptors game is that for like back to back to back possessions, they attacked Jake Lehman and Jake Lehman actually put resistance. And I think it was all three missed. Like they went for Jake Lehman and Jake Lehman made them miss all three times. It's really cool to see someone get targeted off, uh, on the def- defense and then them come through and make plays every single time. I think that Jake has really, I mean, has really put together a good defensive game. He's never going to be a great, like, on ball defender, but he's smart as a team guy. I remember it, earlier this year when Jake Lehman was the starting small forward. We were the worst at defending small forwards in the entire NBA. He has changed the way he plays defense and now is respectable in my eyes. I think teams will still try and attack and score on him, but I have more faith that he's going to at least put the resistance in to make it a tough shot. I mean, absolutely. I think Toronto had success on one or two plays, and they kept going to it. And then the three stops in a row happened, especially that block on Siakam on the left-hand side of the court at the rim, which I think triggered a fast-break bucket for the Blazers. But, you know, I think this was one of Jake's best overall performances. You know, he was a plus 11 on the night, 13 points, 5 of 10 from the field, 7 boards, 2 steals and a block, like very active and like you said, most importantly, he was put on an island against a, a borderline all-star, a guy stronger than him, and he was able to use his athleticism, use his basketball IQ, and he, he held his own. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he, I don't know if the future for J- Jake Lehman is you know, a Bruce Bowen type of defender, but if he can get to the level of Mo Harkless, you take that. If you can feel comfortable – saying, okay, you're going to be on an island. I don't know if you're going to completely shut them down, but you're going to make it hard for them. That is such a a blessing for a a coach to have. It allows Terry that many more options defensively, whether he's, you know, deciding to switch with with Jake because Jake can hold his own or if they don't have to double. If you don't have to double and you're like, I'll take my chances with Siakam going one-on-one against Lehman, um, that's huge because then you've got guys like, Kawhi Leonard, who aren't going to be wide open. Danny Green's not going to be wide open. And then 
probably if you double, it's also harder to rebound because, you know, now you've got three guys going up against four Raptors mm. for, for the ball. And, like, I I watched them, like, do a switch so Kyle Lowry was on the island against Kawhi Leonard. He, he got matched up with a lot of talented guys that game. Man, Pascal Siakam is fucking excellent at basketball. Like, dude is a beast. I love the way that if you need him to bring the ball up, he can do it. If you need him to play center, he can do it. He is just going to make so much money in the open market with teams seeing how skilled he is. Man, the Raptors are going to have to pay out the ass to try and keep him. And to be honest, they should. He is that damn good. I mean, if you just look at the box score, you would have thought the Blazers probably lost by by 20 points. You know, there, there was no Ennis Cantor. Uh, Nurk got in heavy foul trouble, played less than – he played less than 20 minutes. Um, the Blazers didn't really get a great shooting night from Dame. He came on late. Um, CJ was really the catalyst, and you only had one reserve in double figures with Jake Lehman having 13, and you go down Toronto's – you know, starting unit. Lowry gets you 19, 10, and 7. Pascal gets you 16 on, on eight shots. Kawhi had almost 40 points on, you know, 64% shooting. Marcus Gasol starts off red hot, ends up with 9, 8, and 6. And then Danny Green, 4, 5, 11 points. Like, that starting five, I mean, there was a point, I think, in the second quarter where their starting front court of Siakam, Leonard, and Gasol outscored Portland 42 to 14. I mean, we were just getting destroyed. We were down 16 in the third. And this is a game that Portland gets blown out by 40. And we did earlier in the year. Yeah, Milwaukee. This happened. We lost by 43 points. We were up by three with like less than three to go. Had it not been for, you know, I guess we're 19 of 23 from the foul line. But had it not been for some untimely, you know, misses from guys you don't really expect the Blazers probably end up winning that game. Or if they had Ennis Cantor, that that completely blows my mind. This is arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference playing almost full strength. I know they didn't have Van Vliet, but that to me showed a lot of character. And it showed that the Blazers can win in a multitude of ways. I think they locked down on defense in the fourth quarter. Um Dame did what he did in the fourth. CJ kept us afloat all night long, and it it was they were just so close. But you can't win them all. The Blazers are still on the verge of having a six and one road trip, and we were just basically, you know, praying for a four and three trip. The, the opportunity to go six and one when a lot of people thought this road trip was going to really define our season in a negative fashion. I mean, we were 10 and 15 on the road. We're now 15 and 16. So the schedule starts to turn around if you're the trailblazers. And if we want to look at the standings at the moment, you have the Denver Nuggets 42 and 20, yet they have lost two in a row at home to the Jazz and and the Pelicans. Portland 39-24, OKC 38 and 24. They have lost four. Paul George is out with a shoulder injury. Houston is on a tear, won five straight, 38 and 25. And the Utah, they've won, they've won four straight, 36 and 26. Two through six, 
is basically the Northwest Division plus the Rockets duking it out. And if we look at strength of schedule, Denver has the hardest schedule remaining. OKC has the third hardest. hardest. Portland 16th, Houston 13th, and Utah 30th. Utah has the easiest remaining schedule of the rest of the bunch. If we look at tiebreakers, uh, it's going to be very difficult for Portland to get the tiebreaker over Denver, even if they were to win those last two games in April, because then if you tie, it goes to division record. They are eight and two right now. Portland is just four and eight. So I don't really foresee any way Portland can get that Denver tiebreaker. We already lost it against OKC. Even if we beat them on Thursday, they, they're up three zero. As we mentioned earlier, Houston, we have the tiebreaker two and one and we split again with the jazz. It's going to come down to the division. It's going to be close. As mentioned, four and eight for the Blazers, six and seven for the Jazz. So basically, unless it's Houston, avoid the tiebreaker at all cost. Sage, there's a legit chance the Blazers could finish second. And get ready to knock on wood. We are the healthiest team. Jazz are dealing with the Ricky Rubio injury. Paul George is hurt for the Rockets. I mean... We don't have an injury right now. I mean, shit. Jazz are starting Royce to five nine, Roy as the point guard right now. That the, they everyone's dealing with massive injuries. Dennis Schroeder's starting for the Thunder, and they're playing shitty. A lot of like health is such a huge factor in the playoff seeding, and right this second, we're the healthiest i mean the rockets dealt with so many injuries harkless is our only real injury or was our only real injury like that is that that is what is just the biggest advantage i mean when guys like paul george are hurt and ricky rubio is like such an integral part of the jazz because they have no damn uh playmaking or shot creating other than donovan ricky and uh, uh, Ingles, we have an advantage. If we can stay healthy, and I, I, I think two is very attainable. I mean, four back, five essentially, if, if you factor in the tiebreaker, it, it's going to be tough to catch Denver. I give us 25% chance to catch them, and that really requires us to beat them back to back. In April, but the schedule does open up for Portland as long as they handle business as they have been doing. They could run off, you know, 52, 53, 54 wins, but they're going to have to keep the focus that they've been playing with. And, you know, they haven't really been sleepwalking. I feel like they've been playing. They've been taking each opponent seriously, which they haven't done in the past. But the reason the two seed to me is so valuable and. Basically, Avoid like the Golden State Warriors at all costs. <laughs> that's the, the main one is obviously you wouldn't see the Warriors until the Western Conference Finals. But you're looking at playing the Clippers, the Spurs, or the Sacramento Kings in the first round rather than the Thunder, Rockets, or Jazz. You know, getting Clippers out of the first, are fucking awful and Spurs are fucking awful right now. The Spurs can't win on the road to save their life. I don't know how long this Clipper Cinderella story is going to last. It's the Kings not haven't lasting made the that much longer, bro. The Kings haven't made the playoffs since 2006. I and like, you know they're going to be shook as fuck when they're there. So this is why, you know, 
even a week ago, I, I wouldn't have said the two seeds uh, attainable because Denver was just playing so well. The goal is to get out of the first round. Yes, Portland could beat OKC, Houston, Utah, but if I'm taking off my blazer glasses, I say if we have any advantage at all, it's maybe 55-45. I mean, the teams are so evenly matched in in the postseason. All it takes is one one game to change the outlook uh, on the whole series or, you know, one player getting hot. Um if they get out, you start feeling good. You've got home court advantage in the second round, which we haven't had in eight, 19 years. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a really good, a really great season. Not not good. You have a fucking great season. Um, but it, it all starts with, with games like Charlotte, like Cleveland, mm-hmm. even Boston. Boston's been struggling. And for a long time this season – Portland would go into games against teams kind of wounded. They did it against Houston early on. They did it against the Warriors um, basically the day after Thanksgiving, and they got smacked. Like those teams were struggling. Portland did not basically keep them down. They did that to Boston. To me, those are little things to to keep an eye on because as a fan of, of this team or of this you know current cast of characters – I always worry when the Blazers play a wounded dog, wounded duck, you know, whatever analogy you want to to throw out there, because I feel like we don't have that killer instinct for whatever reason that win against Golden State before the All-Star break, something kind of switched, mm-hmm. something was flipped and they seem to be playing with much more laser focus. And I, th- I think they know the stretch run is here. I mean, we're in March. Uh, springtime is upon us. Uh, best time of the year for me. Really, because, you know, playoff basketball is right around the corner. We have, you know, just insanely fun 19 games ahead of us. And, you know, for now, the Blazers have. They, they've got to be a serious threat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's rare for for Blazer fans to think that, though, like we make the playoffs pretty regularly, but to be a threat or a potential threat for teams to want to avoid us because we have something different than most teams have. That's a pretty good feeling as a fan. Well, if you look at this team and I said it on last week's podcast, and that's before beating Cleveland, Boston, nearly beating Toronto and beating Charlotte, by the way, we both predicted three and one. So high five to us, but I still believe this is the deepest team the Blazers have had since that 12 deep bunch in the early 2000s. Portland does not win this Charlotte game last year, even this year. Rodney Hood goes off for 27 second half points, basically puts the team on his back. And we're able to win with, you know, CJ McCollum going two of 13, Dame, you know, nine of 20. Um, Mo three of eight, you know, not getting a whole lot from cancer was two of eight. Like we, we really leaned on Dame, Rodney and, and Nurk. Um, we don't win that game with, without those guys. And, no. you know, looking at, at we don't win games, we, 2019 is the year that, or is the part of the season where like, I would feel comfortable playing a game like that. Nurk's taking off we've made a few really good moves 
yeah, th- th- this team doesn't make those win, doesn't make that a win until 2019, man. I mean, you even look at the Cleveland game. They CJ made a cup. They made that comeback too. CJ and Seth combined to shoot. What was it? 12? 12 of 13 from three. So now you're getting, you know, you're winning inside with Nurk and Cantor. You're winning off the bench with Rodney Hood. You're winning with Dame Time. You're winning with CJ and Seth, you know, shooting, shooting the, the three ball, you know, at an insane clip. And then you're winning with defense. I mean, the Boston game, Portland really put the clamps down on a Celtics team that has given us fits over the years, regardless of their current status right now. That has been a Brad Stevens coach teams have given us just absolute terrors. Mm-hmm. And we're able to hold them to 92 points and none of their, you know, really Kyrie was had 31, but nobody else really exploded. They only get 13 points from their bench. Um, the, the it, it's a Darren Ehrman defense too, bro. Ehrman I mean, that's created it. Um, just really quick. The Blazers, and this is not even forgetting Mo Harkless, his best game of the of the year. Three steals, extremely active, 17 and 10, 8 of 13 shooting against Boston. And then Dame really won that head-to-head matchup with Kyrie. Again, 33-7-4, two steals, you know, shoots 13 and 28, 4-4 from the line. Just matched Kyrie from the beginning. And I think that was the, the key to getting that dub. It was a nationally televised game. You knew they were going to pit the two stars against one another. Kyrie came out hot. Dame matched it, and his teammates really helped him out. So, I've been looking at the stats. Where do you think Blazers rank this month defensively? Top five. You're right. They are in the top five defensive units. People are avoiding the Blazers in Daily Fantasy. Dude, you can't say that any other time in the last five years. We always attack the Blazers because of how trash their defense has been. Our defense is winning us games. Top five defensively in the Trailblazers? That shit still doesn't make sense to me, bro. I mean, salute to Nurk because he is cleaning up so much of the mess. I was just about to say, like, Nurk low-key should get, and I've said this beginning of the year, like, he needs to get some defensive player of the year love. Am I saying he's the defensive player of the year? No, but it's almost like everybody out West just basically says, oh, it's, it's either Paul George or Rudy Gobert. When Nurk, to me, has that level uh, of impact, it's, I mean, that I think he had back-to-back blocks on Kyrie and just kind of stared him down. I was like, sweet Jesus, and give give this to me. Like, all the time. And the Brooklyn Nets game died? He was a fucking menace. I would say, I don't think he'll he'll get first team, especially because Rudy Gobert and the narrative of Rudy Gobert. But I've been watching a team that has zero, when Anthony Davis is out, zero uh, rim protection. Nurk provides so much damn rim protection for this team. It's making a team, you know, that was absolute trash a few years ago defensively, feared. The way he is able to clean up messes is fucking fantastic. He has been so damn good. And 
I just want to look at his his game logs over the past week. So Cleveland, 15 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, 6 of 10 shooting. Boston, 16 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, 1 steal. Again, 5 of 10 shooting. Toronto had the foul trouble, still goes 3 of 4 from the field, 10 and 7. And then Charlotte, the big performance when he needed to, 26 points, 8 of 13 shooting, 10 of 11 from the line. I mean, the big man shot 24 free throws over the week and hit 23 of them. He also chipped in 15 boards, 6 assists, 1 block, 2 steals. Sage, to me, it is blatantly obvious that this team goes from pretty good to great to elite when you get performances like that from Nurkic because somehow we still were were in that Toronto game. If he doesn't get the foul trouble, I think it's a much different contest because we're able to run a little bit more offense, take time off of the clock. I mean, Toronto kind of blitzed us um, a bit in, in that contest. But when he is on, I think he is our ultimate X factor. And I almost think he's our most important player. He's not our most valuable. He's not our best. But you, I mean, we've seen Dame do it since 2012. Like the guy can turn it on when he needs to, when it's in the fourth quarter, you you know, it's Dame time. Like, you know, he's going to make it, you know, he's going to keep us afloat. But what turns us into a fear team is having a seven foot, 275 pound big who can get buckets on offense. He can also pass the hell out of the basketball, but he is a defensive anchor. Like to me, the rest of the league is still sleeping on him. I, I, he might be the most valuable because if you lose Dame for a game, CJ can get a triple-double against the best possible matchup. If Nurk's out for a game, we go to Canner, which he's fine, but we've mentioned it on this podcast already, trash defender. Our defense will get abused if Nurk's out a game. I think we could maintain for a game with a with Dame being sick or something, I don't think we would win a game without Nurk. I mean, you're you're not you're not wrong. And if we go back to just even the beginning of the road trip, including Brooklyn and Philly, you know, twenty seven and twelve in Brooklyn, twenty four, ten and four against Philly. So he has been an absolute terror um this road trip when Portland needed him the most. And so if, if Portland gets Nurk fever they're winning 53, 54 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are just – he gives us, I think, an added dimension that the Blazers have not had in maybe since Sheed and Sabas mm-hmm. I mean, d- down low. Because even when we were good with you know Dame, LaMarcus, and Wes, LaMarcus was a lot of us shooting, shooting those mid-range shots. Yeah, like, pop. yeah, he wasn't punishing guys down low. Um and I think overall what I love most about how we're playing right now is we're sharing the basketball. I think we're seeing CJ gets into his spurts now and then where he likes to go one-on-one for, you know, five-plus seconds, and it doesn't usually end well. But aside from that, the team really shares the basketball. I mean, you saw this this morning. They were looking for Rodney Hood. Like, mm-hmm. they knew he was hot. They needed to get him the ball. Um CJ in Toronto, keep feeding him. So the team knows where to go to. It doesn't seem like there's much ego 
And, you know, if you just follow them basically on IG and Twitter and, and you look at their what they're posting, you know, they seem to have like a great camaraderie. I mean, I don't know if, if it was, you know, something just to brush off, but like getting stuck in an elevator, mm-hmm. like they, they were there for 30 minutes, like that, that inherently has to build a stronger bond. Yeah. I mean, Think about the ego in the NBA right now, bro. LeBron James is doing his shitty thing. Fucking Anthony Davis is playing on a team when he requested a trade. There's just a lot of ego in the NBA. And don't front. Anthony Davis is playing because he wants stats, and that's the only reason he's playing. He's not playing for his teammates. The fact that Rodney Hood is taking over the game and us looking for him is pretty fantastic when you think you know Dame's an all all world player he could in theory take those shots but he saw that his teammate was on fuego and gave him the rock and let the young man ball like that is fantastic and you don't see it every day you don't see the 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 guys just sacrifice for other players to be good you just don't see it with like today's nba and you see it with dame cj and Nur. it's awesome the team i would say the only thing that could hold this team back they need to find a way to get Nurk just more shots um eight of 13 like he had 26 points he was obviously getting to the foul line like if hood's not there to bail us out we could be having a much different podcast right now um because the team just failed to to get you know nurk the basketball you know you had mo you know shooting a couple jumpers aminu like offensive fouls i mean zach collins getting in the game and immediately hoisting up a three i think i think there still is shot selection issues with this team i think they have gotten better with that obviously over the course of this road trip but you know that's something to 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 look at when you're when you're in a playoff series or you're in a tough game down the stretch of the regular season can the blazers make those high basketball iq plays because sometimes they they're they're just not focusing but is it on the players or is it the scheme of ultimate green light for most of the players and the freedom i think or it's a on combination the, of both it's on the players and it's on the coach yeah. i mean you know terry stotts um Shout out! He he did win Western Conference Coach of the Month honors for February. I've I've seen clips where he literally, and this is back when we had Mason Plumley. We're switching on this pick and roll, and what did Mace do? I think it was like three years ago. He didn't switch a defender or a member of the opposition. His guy wide open three won the game. And and Terry like there's literally the clip of him telling the guy do this player does not do that. So. It's a two-way street. Um, So I I just think in general, the Blazers need to – sometimes, you know, they say shoot or shoot, and the only way to get out of a slump is to keep shooting. You know, we had CJ kind of going wild a little bit in that that Charlotte game, if we're going to be critical. Um, Two of 13, and thankfully he didn't take any more. Uh, because he was doing – he was doing his ISO, his head down. And we had a matchup advantage. Like nobody was messing with, with, with Nurk down low. Um, 
to me, like this was a performance where New York probably should have had 40. Like, let's get him the ball more. And I think that's that's the next step. And it's not that I'm not happy about the win. I am giddy as shit that we got that victory. It's just if if we're really talking about number two seed, possibly Western Conference Finals, we want to have these aspirations. You have to be critical and see where you can improve because the great teams, even Golden State, they don't just rest on their laurels and say, hey, we're fantastic. We're fine. We don't need to work on anything. There's always things to work on mm. to improve. I think I, I think that part of Nurk not like getting biz is part of his nature of trying to get people involved. And I think part of his is he doesn't play like extended minute. He plays his 28 to 34 in a game. I don't think that happens in the playoffs. I think he plays 36, 38 minutes just because of he makes the defense elite but here's a here's a question for you though and i don't this is just basically a pure podcast speculation nurk rarely logs over 30 minutes in a game is that because coach knows his stamina because we get peak nurk for 30 minutes i'll take that when nurk gets tired he gets sloppy i i don't want that to happen so do you think he he really will get 35 plus in the playoffs or if he does can he play at a high level for those extra you know 5 6 minutes because he's down there he's banging he probably leads the NBA and getting whacked in the face Oh absolutely um, he does. I mean he 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 goes all out. So to me if we can get peak Nurk for 30 32 minutes I would take that rather than just okay Nurk for 38. It depends on pacing. I think that's the main thing. I remember watching the Brooklyn game and thinking, damn, we are playing their pace, and their pace is one of the top three fastest in the NBA. You heard Lamar talk about it. I think if it's a slower game, like pick a team that is like a middle-of-the-road pace team, I think he can play 36 minutes of really good basketball. But if it's – I let's just pretend Atlanta's in the West and play is good. If a team like that comes, he's playing 28 good minutes and probably uh, like has oxygen uh, on the sidelines for the for the time he's on the bench. I think it's it's really pacing. I don't think it's pure minutes. And that's why I think I'm the most optimistic that I have been about this team, you know, knock on wood, is the depth and versatility that this roster now has especially up front. If we need Nurk for 28 we can do that. If we need him for 38, he can do that. We can also bring in Ennis to get us buckets and offensive rebounds. Zach Collins, mm-hmm. if you need somebody to play a little bit of defense. Um, you know, just the ability to kind of mix and match matchups. And basically, if, you, if you're Terry Stotts and you're looking at the, your coaching counterpart across across the way, he wants to, you know, play a little chess, make a matchup. We have now weapons at our arsenal or dispersal, excuse me, where you're able now to counter everything and in some cases better that move because we have a lot of versatile players. So I have a question for you. We can't really make it past uh, dribble shoot, but for Damian Lillard, what is the best possible matchup in the playoffs for him? Oh, let's look at those standings and let's go kind of uh, – Downline, I am going to take the Spurs and the Clippers off of the list for now. Deal. Because those are, those are the best for every single person. Yes. Okay. I am just sticking with 
OKC, Houston, and Utah. Yeah. To me, the best matchup for him is Utah. He is able, he is one of the few guards who's able to finish around Rudy Gobert. He is able to shoot the three. I, I think I don't think Donovan Mitchell can stay with him. Um, they've been playing him a lot at the at the one. If they want to put angles on him, I think angles a little is a little too slow. And there's also the Utah factor that he went to school in Weber State. Mm-hmm. He gets up even more to play these games. I mean, he had 59 against them two years ago. Uh, he just always seems to play very well against that Utah team. And for whatever reason, he and CJ both. In so this- is CJ is CJ Utah as well? See, yes. So for whatever reason, CJ gets buckets against Utah. Um, number two is OKC. Uh, this year hasn't gone as planned. I think some of them have been schedule losses, but he and Russ, I think, is is a good matchup. He Russ likes to match Dame for the most part, mm-hmm. and all, all of the games this year have been entirely you know down the wire. Basically, you know, we could have won two of those three. I mean, it, yeah. it's been that close. And we'll get another, you know, test on Thursday against the Thunder. Um, also, having Terrence Ferguson instead of Andre Robertson mm-hmm. makes a big difference if you're if you're Portland. And De- Dennis Schroeder is not stopping anyone defensively. But they do have Steven Adams, who can protect the paint. Um, but outside of him, though, you know, Mark Nerlens Noel scaring you? Actually, yeah, I take that back. That's why OKC is too. Nerlens Noel has been a very good under the radar addition yeah, for he's nice. OKC. Um, and Houston's a team I just don't want to see because for whatever reason, Dame does not play particularly well against Chris Paul. Once in a while, he'll have a good matchup, but for the most part, CP ha- has bettered him throughout his his career. And then you're probably looking at. Um, you know who's gonna heart who's gonna guard James Harden? Is it gonna be Mo? And then you know you'll have to stick on on Eric Gordon. But um, we are two and one against them this year. Um, Chris Paul is not the Chris Paul that that he once was. Um, but if we're going off historical, and I have to you know rank them, I would say Utah, OKC, Houston. Is or that U- the same for yeah. CJ? I would say Utah for C just because he's had big games against them this year. And I think it's probably. Mm. Do you think the narrative of Donovan Mitchell is such a perfect, uh, perfect backcourt mate for Damian Lillard fresh in his mind? I see it now after seeing Donovan Mitchell play a lot, you know, his rookie year. And then, and then this campaign, I, I don't think he would have been the player he is in Utah if we, had, if we had drafted him. His his usage rate is really high, mm-hmm. and he is not quite there in terms of efficiency. Like he, he'll score twenty four points on like twenty seven shots type of guy. Like he he wiles a little bit. Um, he's still very he good, ball. but he's not the perfect backcourt. He's court, still man. very good, but he he's a ball dependent player. Like he's he and I don't know how well he and Dame would have played because he's not a pure shooter. Either. Um, I, I really just like Portland against Utah because, yes, Rudy Gobert is a fantastic defender, but for the most part this year, we've kept Joe Ingles quiet, and I don't feel like the, the backcourt defensively of Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles is going to put up much resistance against against our, our two guards. It, it's Ricky Rubio is really the guy that you have to worry about defensively on that team. Uh, for perimeter, obviously. I think Probably the most important to swing a series. 
Yusuf Nurkic. Out of those three, what is the best matchup for him? Because I I believe Dame and CJ are consistent and can get buckets. I think the main thing is Nurk. What is the best matchup for Nurk out of those three? That is tough. I mean, we blew out Utah in Portland in January without Nurk. But I think we arguably had our best win of the season in Utah when he just went on that third quarter rampage and he was throwing lobs to Jake. Uh, he was getting to the bucket against Rudy Gobert. Um, he was playing Gobert type of defense. Um, OKC is another fantastic matchup for New York. On Thursday, watch that versus Steven Adams. Uh, in, our, in the games this year against OKC, let me bring it up. So just to let you know, Oklahoma City is the third fastest pace, best paced in potential, uh, fastest pace in potential playoff teams. Utah's middle of the road and Houston is the 28th in regards to pace. If that helps swing anything. So if we're looking at, at Nurk's game logs this year, um, 13, 9, and 4 in three contests against the Utah Jazz. Um, has not shot the ball well from the foul line. Against Oklahoma City in three games, set 18-12, uh, 65% shooting from the floor. And against Houston in three games, 21-12-3, again, 64% from, from the floor. So the numbers say you want OKC or Houston. Utah is probably going to be the the worst matchup for him. But to me, I like Nurk in all of those matchups. But mm-hmm. I, I would say OKC or Houston is probably the best. I think he would absolutely destroy Clint Capella and and Stephen Adams. So with saying with doing this exercise, which is your preferred matchup for the Blazers? To me, it's, it's still. I would say the numbers probably lean towards Houston, but James Harden is still a guy that can get you 50 or 60 points on any given. Like that's, that's what is giving me a little bit of pause for, for saying, I mean, yo, they got Chris Paul, arguably the best point guard ever. They got James Harden. Who's putting up 50 burgers whenever the fuck he wants. Fucking had a run of just amazing games. But those two, they're a real top-heavy team. Eric Gordon has not performed well to make me very happy. Um, Their bigs are trash. Like, when Clint Capella was out, it was Nene and Harrison getting in. No, well, they, they signed him, but yeah. before he he was there, it was just nothing but trash. Kenneth Reed has rejuvenated his career, but do you really think he can stop the, what the Blazers have in the post? Nah. And you know Ken Freed and uh, Clint Capella aren't going to play major minutes together just because of how shit the spacing would be. So I, I, I think Houston is my personal fa- best matchup, but you could... T- no, I, honestly, Houston is without a doubt my I would best. say Utah, Houston, OKC. Yeah. OKC is a, a, a night and day different team than they were last year. Um, Paul, Paul George, George. <laughs> has turned himself into a first-team All-NBA player, probably number two or number three on my MVP ballot. 
Um, the loss of Carmelo Anthony was an addition by subtraction. Dennis Schroeder, um, contract aside, was a really nice pickup. Um, Ferguson is a much different player than he was this time last year, and Nerlens Noel. And they also added Marquise Moore. So they they're, they are going to be just fine once Paul George gets gets healthy. But I, I don't want to play the Thunder. Um, I, you could... You could sway me either way on Utah or Houston, but I will say this, the Dustin fact of the day, since I became a fan in 1990, the Utah Jazz have never won a home playoff game in the city of Portland. Good stat. That's 91, 92, 99, and 2000, and 96. That's five years, three eras of Blazer basketball, with Carl Malone and John Stockton playing every one of those fucking games, and they still couldn't win. So I'm not about I'm not about to be here to see Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert end that streak. And the yeah. the, the, the Dustin streak will stay alive if we play the Jazz. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, no, I, I'm still Houston, man. I just see the the one thing that scares me. Well, the guards scare me in Houston, but I think our uh, strength in the bigs is gonna be the reason we win. So if we look at the Charlotte game, Portland's most recent sample, they go 10 deep. Everyone plays at least 13 minutes. Uh, Evan Turner, I believe he's been out for almost the entire. Yeah. Since Brooklyn. So almost the entire road trip, he's obviously getting slated back into that rotation. Do you think he comes in and gets his full allotment of minutes when he the the second he's healthier, were they going to work him in? I mean, he was really only getting you know twelve to fifteen minutes a night, anyways. So my thing is, this is this is a little bit of you know a good problem to have. We have maybe too much depth. We have now an eleven man rotation. Who whose minutes is he going to take? I don't think you can take Jake or Rodney's or Ennis. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think he might. Healthy Evan Turner probably affects Ennis's a little, but I think it's Seth Curry, right? I think it, I think it's, it's Seth, Seth Curry or Zach. I think it's Seth, CJ, and Dame because I don't think they're gonna play in the second unit as much. But should they, knowing yes. how much success Portland yes. has had? Yes, but. I agree. I think Evan Turner is a guy that Terry trusts. And I think the reason that the media it talks about how great Evan Turner is as a a player and a coach, or a player and like a coach on the floor and all that shit is because Terry and Neil like really want that narrative to get out that he is a good team guy. I think that Seth is going to be the main but I really love seeing our stars in with the second unit. I really do. To me, I think it's going to be a night-by-night basis, and everyone's going to have to be ready. I think matchup given, you're going to need to see Cantor and Zach Collins on the floor at the same time. Other nights, Jake Lehman can handle some of the power forward duties, and you're able to slide him in there. There are going to be nights when we're going to need Seth Curry to give us a shot in the arm because you know we can't throw it in the ocean. Um, I think right now, the rotation is – if I'm looking at a playoff rotation, I think nine guys make the cut. Obviously, you have your starters. I think Jake is six, Hood seven, Ennis eight, 
And then Evans, Evans, your ninth. I, I think you're right. Uh, Seth and Zach. I, I think that even it might be eight. I think it's those three, and then Damon CJ are the point guard from I think the 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 second unit. I don't think Neil O'Shea brought in Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood to get their minutes cut in the postseason. Oh, and, no, and no, Jake no. Layman's playing too well to to not be a part no, of that. No, rotation. no, 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 no. I think that. Though the, our star guards would be the point guards, so I think Evan might get cut. You think Evan would really not get playoff minutes? Man, if I'm I trying mean, to win, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you see the success. I mean, small sample size, of course, but you see well, the success. And is Evan Turner a playoff guy? I know he was with Boston, but Boston is special. And he came off the bench and did wonders. But is he a playoff guy in the fact that he can be on the floor during a playoff situation and not be targeted? I think I mean, a, te- a smart team, and we're probably playing a smart team because they're in the playoffs, sags on him and makes offense living hell. But he can bully people in the post. And he's a plus defender. But does that plus don't defend? Make me, don't make me defend Evan Turner. Is the plus I, defending really worth the lack of offensive spacing? Well, that's what I'm saying. I I think you're right in the sense that he might not be quote unquote guaranteed playoff minutes, but I think he may end up being a. So he'll be in the eight or nine man rotation. Yeah, he'll be a matchup. I think he might be a matchup dependent guy because. Like Seth can spread the floor, ET can score in the paint. ET, I feel like Jake is a better player playing alongside Evan Turner. Um, they have a they have a connection this year, and for all the shit we talk about Portland's perimeter defense, Evan Turner can can be a plus in in, in that area. So, but are we assuming that CJ doesn't put in the extra effort defensively? It's playoff I mean, time, baby. CJ's still 6'3 going up against you know, bigger guys. So Portland's going to ha- – that's what I'm saying. Portland's going to have to take some lumps. Evan Turner can help offset that on the defensive end. Now, does he turn the ball over way too often? Absolutely. But this is – like we've talked about this. Terry Stotts has stuck with Aminu. He's stuck with Harkless. For me to think he's just all of a sudden going to kick Evan Turner aside, it would be hard for me to – presume that okay trigger warning for all stats heads let's pretend that terry stats has never met these people or a brand new coach is coming in would that new coach without the personal respect and love for that player play him in the playoffs? if greg popovich was like i'll intern for this team and take over for this series because i'm bored and the vi- the the it, it was a bad year at the wine winery is that i think that's what it is would he play Evan Turner in that eight to nine man rotation? I think it's he's matchup dependent. Okay, I can I can I can accept that, but I don't think he's like a must. We we gotta find fifteen minutes for Evan Turner. Oh, you're, I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> if we're talking about just eight man rotation, my three bench guys are Jake, Ennis, and Rodney. Yep. And I I would have a pivot. I would have a quick pivot. To Zach Collins, if the matchup, I think Zach's also a matchup guy. Just in case it's like prime Ryan Anderson's 
you forget all the back injuries and knee injuries, and Ryan Anderson's on the Rockets, you have Zach Collins, not Enos Cantor. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, Blazers have a chance to make history. This would be the most wins since 1991 on the road in a single trip. They went 6-0. Yeah, they went 6-0 back then. They're looking to go 6-1 right now. They have the Memphis Grizzlies Tuesday, March 9th in Memphis. And then the schedule makers must hate Portland because the first game back, we always say it's just like another road game. But for this team right now, that may be a good thing. Uh, Oklahoma City comes into town. Status of Paul George still up in the air. And then Saturday, another home game against the worst team in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Lakers. Boom, roasted. Boom, touche. Let's kick it off off with Memphis. Uh, this this, This ain't your daddy's Memphis Grizzlies. Mike Conley was out today. This isn't even your brother's Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, this team is completely flipped on their sides you know they have the additions of uh delon wright jonas valanchunas avery bradley bradley um they still have mike conley um they they have ivan rab who has been playing fantastic Mm -hmm. lately uh you know basically played two years at the university of california joachim noah is getting real minutes jaron jackson jr is is out which will help the blazers um you said conley was out for tonight is he? Do you think he'll be back? It's a home game. Let's assume he's playing. Yeah, man. Like, yo, it's crazy. I, I'm gonna mispronounce it, but Bruno Colocobo. I he got he's getting major minutes for the team. It's a weird fucking team. I haven't watched him because I don't like torturing myself. No. But what I can tell you, I am looking at a ownership page from Osmo.com, which is the best DFS site out there. They rate Jonas as an A guy, and everybody else is C or below in terms of fantasy value. Like, this team is not good. The one person we got to worry about is Jonas Valanciunas, who's actually getting major minutes. If we can lock him down, and calmly, of course, if he's playing, but we can't tell. Like, that is the one guy we got to focus our energy on and stopping. He really is putting up really good numbers when he's getting minutes. It's kind of what I thought would happen with him when he ever, when he gets free from the Toronto Raptors' thin rotations. This, this team sucks, though, man. Like, Avery Bradley isn't the Avery Bradley that should scare you. DeLon Wright's fine justin holiday's like garrett temple like this team doesn't have anyone that scares me that gets me nervous like how are we gonna stop this team probably because they're awful but like this team isn't scaring me at all do you feel any different i would say post all-star break every game i have been petrified against like this to me is pins and needles season because every game just intensifies in importance by, Mm -hmm. by 10. Um, I mean, we're, we just talked about the standings and how everyone is basically separated um, by basically the slightest of margins. And you cannot afford 
to stub your toe. And we saw Portland, yes, they ended up with a three seed last year, but they almost didn't because they blew games in Dallas and in Memphis. And this is a game that will tell me a lot about where the minds, the mind state of, of this, this team is at, are they content with a five win road trip or are they going to get greedy and put the clamps down on, on Memphis? You know, we saw them come out, they jumped on Charlotte, got a 15-point lead. They held on. Uh, they jumped on the Cavaliers. Basically took their best punch, almost gave it away, but then responded, you know, very, very nicely. Portland, I mean, every game is a must win. And I agree with you. I think it is Valanciunas. To me, the the, the the X factor is Nurk. I don't want to try to win another game with him getting into early foul trouble. Mm-hmm. I think if he just wins that matchup, Portland should win the game. Um, I look for Portland to, I think we'll win this game, but we cannot get into a state of mind where we're the lazy passes. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I think if, if we really lose the turnover battle and the fast break point battle, um, I think they run parallels to one another because if we're turning the ball over, Memphis is taking it and they're going the other way, grit and grind regardless. Portland really needs to take this game seriously and just execute an offense. So what I'm looking for is, you know, low turnovers, you know, just destroy them in the paint. Like, I think it's a Zach Collins day. It, he is going to shine. Guess what they're finishing five is in a game that sort of mattered. Guess what they're finishing five was? Well, they have to have Conley. Yep. Valanciunas. Yep. Um, Joachim Noah. Yeah. Um, who else? <laughs> Avery Bradley. Yep. His brother is uh, my favorite player in the NBA. And Justin Holiday. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a bad finishing five, bro. <laughs> so if if they are going to go Joachim Noah and, and Jonas Valanciunas, then, you know, to me, let's let's attack them mm-hmm. and make them pay for having Noah on the floor. Yeah. Like that, man, that, that, that's not a good team, but never forget Marshawn Brooks won that game single-handedly for them last year. And he was a nobody. I think he was playing on a 10 day contract. If you're in the NBA, you're talented. The Blazers need to take this game seriously. If they do, they win. What do yeah, you say? Oh, absolutely. It's a dub. If, okay. if we lose this game, we're not going to be happy regardless of anything else that happens in that week. The The next time the Holy Backboard is on and they lose this game, it's Grumptown. We are Grumptown. <laughs> the Blazers return to Stumptown on Ooh, the 7th. Ooh, that was a good one. Thank you. <laughs> they are just looking to get anything positive against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um Skunked so far in three attempts. Um, Monday, February 11th, lost by nine in OKC, 111-120. Tuesday, January 22nd, lost by nine in OKC, 123-114. And then Friday, January 4th, Portland lost by two, 111-109. Had a late chance to win it there. Um, Normally, I would be worried about the first game back if it were a team like Detroit, who has talent to beat you, but you may not be looking. For, uh, Miami would be a perfect example here. That would scare the shit out of me. 
But OKC, we know we are fighting for that three seed and possibly a chance to get out of the Golden mm-hmm. State side of the bracket. They should be locked in. Obviously, they don't want to get swept by this team just as they did to the Thunder last year. Um, this will be Ennis Cantor's first game in front of the hometown fans. Uh, Sage, we're still unclear whether Paul George will play or not, but I have a good feeling just because of those points that, that, that I brought up. I think Portland is going to bring it. And to me, I think this is going to be a big Nurk week. I think he's going to have a big game against Memphis. I think he's going to win that Steven Adams matchup. Oh, yeah, he and Ian, like Steven Adams really, well, Steven Adams uses his bulk to bully people. You can't really do that on Nurkic because he's bigger and stronger than Steven Adams. What I will say is if Paul, are we assuming Paul George is in or out? I'll say he's in. Because I think that even helps Nurk's matchup more. And I'll tell you why. I think Steven Adams has been excluded a lot this year from getting the ball because got two MVP caliber guys. I mean, I think if if he was the, if it was just Steven Adams, I think he would get Nurk into foul trouble. But since he's not, or we're assuming he's not, I think it's a big better chance for Nurk to get biz. I that it's a tough one, man. They've gone three. It, it's tough to sweep a team. I would say the Blazers win, but it's going to be a nail biter the entire way through. It's tough. It's it's going to be playoff basketball from jump. Blazers need 30 from their bench. Last game in OKC, um, they had guys like Abdul Nader, Raymond Felton, some dude named Buford or yep, Bedford yep. <laughs> come in and shoot, who I've never fucking heard of in my life, just draining threes left and right. Um, Schroeder obviously has ability to change a game. They just added to Markeith Morris. They have New Orleans Noel. So they have depth as well. We need our guys. We need Dennis Cantor, who really – had a great time on OKC, did not want to get traded. So he's going to be extra amped up to go up against his, they used to call themselves the stash bros, he and Steven Adams. Uh, Rodney's coming off of a 27-point night. Um, I look for him to kind of bully a guy like Terrence Ferguson or even Schroeder down low if he gets matched up with them. And then can we get another, like, Jake Lehman just burst? Like, whether it's a couple oops, a couple threes, like, he gets the crowd hype, like, I think if the bench does their job, Nurk wins his matchup. I, I like the Blazers there. So I mean, f- OKC is a fantastic off, like pace-wise, super quick defensive top five. It's a good ass team. So I wouldn't be shocked if we lose, but I think that it is really difficult to sweep a team in four games. And then Portland rounds out the week against the Phoenix Suns, who did everyone a favor by kicking the Lakers' ass on on Saturday night. But for all intents and purposes, they do not want to win basketball games right now. They are tanking for Zion. This, to me, is in a similar game to Memphis. Just show up, focus. The starters put in three solid quarters. You'll get a quarter off. Hopefully, we'll get to see a lot of Simons and and Trent and and Scal. that's how this game should be. I'll take a win no matter how it comes, but Portland needs to handle the Suns because they've got another three-game road trip coming up after this one, and I want our starters to get as much rest as possible. Yeah. Um, it's Book. Kelly Oubre has been playing well. 
and DeAndre Ayton. So this consistent. team does not play defense. No, 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 no. Like you look at them, they have names. DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, TJ Warren, you know, Josh Jackson. We, we've all heard of them. Like we're like, oh, household names. That You know, they're probably pretty good. And yes, they can carry Phoenix to a win offensively. If Portland actually makes them play defense, I want to see Portland win the assist battle because that means they're actually second worst defensive team in the NBA. I mean, they just do not want to play it at all. They have no interest in it. Portland needs to not jack up quick shots, execute in the half court. Um, I believe we lead the NBA. Um, They showed a stat on Blazer Broadcasting over 102 points per game in the half court. Portland just needs to take the time and basically operate on them. Just just like, you know, just like a surgeon would surgically take them apart. And Who get scares you on this team? Because, you know, there's a random guy that's going to get 20 that usually gets four. The Portland Trailblazers scare me because. <laughs> not your boo, someone, Troy Daniels? The, the, the Phoenix Suns do not have the talent to match. Like this to me is, is a game the Blazers must show up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Aiton hasn't done shit against the Blazers this year. Devin Booker. He went back and forth with CJ a little bit the last time we met in Phoenix, but not really. Um, I would say Ubre. Ubre uh, did Ubre's well. Ubre's been getting. Ubre's got like twenty seven percent usage rate. Yeah, he since did CJ well Warren's the out. Games we played against the Wizards. Why do I know this shit? By the way, fuck. Oh, so I, I would say Ubre, <laughs> but mostly Portland. Portland needs to do it. I think we get a double digit victory. Um, I think Nurkud you know, gets twenty five plus because Aiton can't defend anything well. So you got the three and yeah. three and a week. All right, Sage, let's wrap this bad boy up. Any final words? Um, tell a friend to tell a friend about the holy backboard. Um, like and five star us. Um, I want to get merch out this summer or sooner than that. So be on the lookout for all things holy backboard. And uh, I think it's dinner time for your boy. Yes, sir. Uh, real quick, you going to the playoffs with me this year? Tentative, yes. <laughs> it is so fucking expensive to live in Oregon, or you know, this area. It's most likely yes. Tentative, a hell, a tentative hell, yeah. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.